the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my words to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be set loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, and all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the firstfruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. John, would you like to continue, or is that where we'll end? Um, I might jump into the following verses at the end, because it is relevant, I think. Entirely to the passage. I don't know why they stopped at verse three. I know it's crazy. Um, but we'll, we'll start time. with what we have, and then uh, if we have time. We'll continue on. Um, Very cool. Excellent. There I am. The uh, parasha of the week uh, is Exodus chapter one through six, verse one which is, of course, uh, quite famous. Um, it's the lead-up to uh, the battle between God of Israel and the gods of Egypt. Um, and in this lead-up, you have God's calling of specific people for a specific plan. Uh, and, of course, this is where you have the main connection if you will, with Jeremiah, um, where God calls someone to a specific idea, a specific plan. Um, in the beginning, you have, of course, 
in the book of Exodus, you have the people who are being persecuted and they are calling out to God and they're pleading for help. Um, they are in pain, they're suffering. Um, and uh, of course, the, the king of Egypt uh, would not listen to them. In fact, he would continuously make their life harder and worse. Um, a lot of people, they assume that, that the Israelites were slaves for hundreds of years. That's probably not accurate. They were probably only actually slaves for, um, you know, for, for the six decades, which is still, you know, a full lifetime. Um, for most people in the, in the period. Um, so, you know, your grandparents would have been some, some kind of slave, your parents would have been slaves, and you would have been slaves. But before that, you might have some memory of having more. Uh, we do know that, that the Israelites, despite being slaves, they had their own crops, they had their own flocks of, of animals that God uh, did not strike. When he struck down some of the flocks and, and crops of the Egyptians. So they did have things. Um, but nonetheless, for at least, we'll say, three generations from the time of Moses, right? He was um, born, you could even say, right, 80 years plus. Because uh, Moses, he's born, he, he lives, he goes out into the wilderness, he comes back. And he's gone for quite a while. Um, but while he is gone from Egypt, he leaves because he is um, a murderer, right? This is one of the people that God calls, one of God's heroes. Um, is They're often not uh, the best people. In fact, I was just reading um, yesterday, there's a quote by uh, St. Augustine where he says that Nathaniel, that we read about in the book of John, chapter 1 and John 21, um, Nathaniel wasn't called to be one of the apostles. So in, in St. Augustine's view, he doesn't believe that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. And his reasoning for that is that, that Nathaniel seems to be extremely intelligent and extremely knowledgeable. And from those two things, St. Augustine will make an argument that even though he becomes a disciple of Jesus, even though he follows Jesus from the time Jesus first appears on the scene with John the Baptist, pretty much all the way the next time we meet him is after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. So throughout the entire period, Nathaniel seems to be a disciple of, of Jesus. He, he just isn't mentioned. Nathaniel's argument for him not being a, an apostle is that he's not one of these stupid fishermen, one of the poor, uh, one of the outcasts, one of those who are um, not wise in the sight of the world. Now, obviously, if you actually meet fishermen or farmers or anyone like that, you'll quickly realize that they're extremely smart on average, um, perhaps not uh, in the eyes of people from the big city, um, but still smart in their own way, uh, able to do things that, frankly, we would never be able to do uh, because we've never tried it before. Um, and they just live their whole life figuring out how to get things to work. But that's St. Augustine's view on the calling of, of God and the calling of Jesus. Not that smart people, not that rich people can't be disciples, but they're not the ones that God calls for a specific purpose to be a light to the world in these very specific callings. So, of course, again, Moses, he is a murderer. We find that out very quickly. Um, he is uh, not necessarily, he seems to be slightly quick to anger. 
Um, he gives excuses, uh, as we find at the burning bush, uh, in, a, in a very similar uh, form to what we'll read in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, you have um, the saying by Jeremiah that I'm a youth. How can I talk? Um, how will this come across? People won't believe me. People won't accept the words I say. And of course, Moses, in a similar manner in chapter four of Exodus, is saying basically the same thing. I'm not eloquent. I can't talk. Um, people won't listen to me. And God's response in both cases, so I'll read uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I sometimes uh, agree with Moses in my own case, but then you have to keep reading verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. Now of course, Moses, in the end, he continues to um, turn aside this uh, rejoinder by God. Eventually, God relents and sends him Aaron, his brother. In fact, we know from the passage that Aaron was already well on his way uh, to meet with Moses. Um, how Aaron would know to go where Moses was, which was on the outskirts of the Midian area, which um, according to an early Egyptian source, um, did include the Sinai all the way up to um, actually not that far from the Nile River. Um, so Mount Sinai in Sinai can be an option for, for the mountain of God, uh, as according to Egyptian sources, it is part of the outskirts of Midian. Um, but why Aaron would assume to go and meet Moses wherever he might have been is astounding. Um, but again, God is the one who calls, and he sometimes sends his people places where they really would have no expectation of anything happening. But when they follow the call of God, they end up uh, exactly where God wants them to be. Um, you do also have the connection, both Aaron, um, Aaron and Moses, along with Jeremiah. They're Levites. Um, obviously, of course, Aaron becomes the, the chief priest. Jeremiah himself was also a priest. Um, but you do have some differences. Obviously, one of the major ones that we'll end up talking about uh, towards the end is the, the difference of the book of Exodus. The people are calling out to God. They need help. And so God is going to do something that he hasn't really done. He's going to redeem a nation of people. He's going to bring them out and sanctify them even. Jeremiah, on the other hand, is in, and this is why um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 4 onwards could be important. Jeremiah is actually in the land that God had taken the Israelites to. But they're not calling out to God. And in fact, they're oppressing the weak and the poor. Um, they're selling people for a sandal, right? Uh, according to what is that Amish, I believe. Um, and so you have a very, very different situation where for Moses, it's these foreign people, the Egyptians who are the oppressors. And Moses is going to have this really, it might be difficult job, but if someone told you, oh, hey, you're going to go to 
um, people and you're going to help them and you're going to serve them and you're going to bring them out and you're going to have them be able to worship their God um, for generations to come, you'd be like, okay, this is something that I would enjoy doing, right? As opposed to Jeremiah where you're like, oh, by the way, you're going to be condemning people. You're going to, as verse 10 says, pluck up and break down, destroy and overthrow. Um, so these are some of the similarities and differences that we'll get to. Um, but before we get there, I wanted to talk a little bit more about verses 5 and 6. Um, <clears throat> along with, um, right, same uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. God knows his heroes. He's not surprised at who we are or what we're doing. He doesn't get surprised that we are weak or that we don't have the best voice. He's not surprised that we're young or old, um, right? Some people are like, oh, I'm too old to serve. Some people are saying, oh, I'm too young to serve. Uh, and that is, in fact, not the case whatsoever in God's eyes. It says in verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 1, since we read Exodus 4, verse 10 and 11. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. Um, these are actually uh, specifically uh, verse 5, along with um, parts of uh, Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, Psalm 139, are some of our arguments against abortion. Um, before we were even formed, God knew us. God, this is um, Yada, which is a very close knowledge. It's not like, um, you know, you met someone once at a party. Uh, this is someone that you grow up with or that you talk with a lot or that you you really have a close connection with. Um, and, and one of the closest connections with. And God is very clear that he knows his people before they're even formed in the womb. And uh, the, the second half of that, before you were born, I consecrated you. This is to sanctify, to make holy. Um, and uh, Jeremiah and others, as you read, um, if I have... I don't have Psalm 139 up. Jeremiah, David, um, even uh, some would argue that Psalm 139, part of it is, is attributed to Adam himself, the first man. Um, God knows us. So let me just read Psalm 139 as well, part of it. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Right. And this is, of course, we all know that God is powerful. He knows who, you know, he, he understands who we are. Um, we can't hide anything from him. In fact, uh, in the preparation uh, in, the, in the Anglican liturgy, you mentioned this concept that we, everything that we do, whether it's in the light or in the dark, God knows. Um, we can't hide it from him. But when you jump forward to verse 13 of 139, Psalm 139, verse 13, you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Um, verse 15 is why this is uh, attributed at least partly to Adam, uh, as Adam was intricately woven from, from earth, from dust, uh, while the rest of us are um, uh, not, even though from dust we are to dust we shall return, um, we are created in a slightly different way than how Adam was. So you really have this attribution of God knowing who his people are. Um, it's interesting that also you have uh, the same uh, theology. You find it in Ephesians chapter. beforehand um, God knew who we were God formed us God made us out of um, you know it says like I said in Psalm 139 before our substance was formed unformed substance uh, and yet uh, at the end of the day Psalm 139 uh, he says at the end verse 23 and 24 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. See, of course, very interesting in the fact that both Adam and David are extremely well known for their disobedience. Um, and yet, at the end of the day, um, David and perhaps even Adam can say, um, lead me in the way everlasting. And even, even in verse 18 um, and 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So the, the writer of the psalm, which is David, and like I said, perhaps Adam as well, they understand that despite all of their problems, all of their disobedience, they can still be with God. Um, and, and you have, I think, one of my favorite things in the book of, of Exodus, in the, in the passage of the week, um, Exodus chapter 1 through 6, 1, is you have the giving of the name of God. And everyone talks about um, Moses asking God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, this is uh, chapter 3, verse 13, the God of your people has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So we have this first um, real uh, naming of God in this way that he's supposed to take this name to the people of Israel. But it's not actually the first time that this phrase is used. Um, it's used actually in two verses earlier. In uh, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of, uh, children of Israel out of Egypt? So again, he's still kind of um, reticent about being called by God. And God says, I will be with you. Which is the same word, itcha. Right, so I will be is what uh, God says his name is, actually. Um, 
uh, yeah, I, I will be. And we translate it, I am who I am. But the key components of that, I will be with you. Right? Not just, I am, I am the everlasting being. It's not just, I always have been. It's not, I always will be. I am going to spend my time with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to act on your behalf. I'm going to um, be the one speaking through you, uh, or at least through Aaron and Moses. Although after, interestingly enough, after Moses says, I don't like to talk, I'm not very good at it. Um, and Aaron comes along to speak for Moses. Uh, Moses does an awfully lot of talking, uh, and Aaron actually doesn't do all that much talking. Um, but here again, Jeremiah, you have the same kind of reticence. I am a youth. I don't know how to talk. And God's response is, don't say that. Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I think uh, this is an encouragement to each of us, or it should be an encouragement to each of us. I I feel like um, Moses quite often. Um, I don't feel like I'm the best speaker in the world. Um, and yet, there's always that, that concept, that knowledge in the back of my mind, this is who God made, me. Could have made someone else. He could have called someone else to be in the place that I am, wherever that might be. He called you to wherever you are. Uh, and he made you in the way that you are. And uh, he knew. He formed us in the womb. He knew who we were. And at least in the case of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was consecrated. He was set apart, which isn't. Um, actually that dissimilar to the people of God. Uh, you'll the, the word saint, it's not someone who has had at least two miracles attributed to them um, and have lived and died, had two miracles, um, especially even after their death. Um, a saint is simply someone who has been set apart by God. And he calls Israel a nation of saints. He calls the church a nation of saints, or people of saints, I should say. And he calls each one of us a saint, uh, which is why Paul, when he's writing his letters to people who are well-known, for their sin, for their immorality, for uh, their arguments, for their gossip. He starts each of his letters to the saints. Well, who are these saints? They're the people who Paul has to write to because they are failing in something. Right? Those are the saints. And sometimes we fail uh, through sin. Sometimes we feel like we're going to fail because we're too young, too old, too much of a different culture, um, too stupid, uh, too weak, uh, too ill, um, right? Some people, they're born with um, uh, bodily weakness. Some people... As, as uh, God states in uh, Exodus, some people are mute. Some people are deaf. Some people 
can see. Thankfully, that's me. I'm happy about that. Uh, I love seeing the nature and beauty that God has created. Um, and some people are blind. But whether you're blind or you have sight, whether you can speak or whether you cannot speak, God is the one who formed you. And you will be able to serve God in the way that he's told you. Um, it's interesting that in his youth, um, God tells Jeremiah to not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. Obviously, uh, you have Jeremiah's called, and you would see in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, he's called to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow. Unlike Moses, who, yes, he did have a very difficult call. God would call on Israel. Can everybody hear me? I froze up a little bit on my second screen. Okay, I have a little bit of delay. Um, hopefully that'll fix itself. Um, the Moses, of course, the plagues that he had to call uh, from God or that God simply uh, sent and, and Moses relayed to, to Pharaoh that they would happen. Uh, they aren't pleasant, but in the end, uh, we know that the end of the story is that uh, the Israelites were taken out of slavery and into uh, freedom. And in fact, many others uh, in Egypt saw who God was, and they themselves followed um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then when they get to Canaan, um, again, you will see that there are some very difficult jobs that God gave people like Joshua. Um, but you will also find people like Rahab who will say, oh, I've heard of this God. I think it's smart to follow him. Um, but Jeremiah, he never really has that beauty of seeing something good come out of what he's called to do. Um, in verse 19, it says, um, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. After he's called to speak out against the nation, speak out against the kings, against the, the officials, against the priests and the people of of the land, God promises, oh, I'll, it's okay. You'll prevail. Even though you are speaking of, of breaking down, of destroying, of overthrowing, you'll prevail. And yet, the end of the story for Jeremiah is that he actually is taken against his will to Egypt. So, what does it mean that Jeremiah prevailed against his accusers, against those who would fight against him. Um, this is a very difficult, assuming that Jeremiah uh, spoke what God told him to speak. And, and Jeremiah was actually a very faithful servant of God. Um, you don't have uh, the situations like with Elijah where he uh, ends up moping, um, although Jeremiah is known as the, the, the um, weeping prophet. Uh, he had very good reason to. Uh, and even there, he's not moping, he's mourning, which are two very different things. Um, so we'll maybe have a, a discussion about that later. Uh, what does it mean that, that Jeremiah and God prevailed in this situation? Let's go back a little bit, verse 11. Or actually to the end of verse 10. 
Uh, Jeremiah also is called to build and to plant. Um, and one of the interesting things, I took um, class on Jeremiah a couple times, uh, both in college and um, post-grad. Um, every time Jeremiah gives his message, he, he proclaims the word of God. I think all but once it is a negative message. But each time he gives this negative message, you know, you, you, God is going to overthrow you. The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take you into captivity. Um, Y'all are in trouble because you've abandoned uh, your first love type of a uh, situation. Um, as we'll find uh, following in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, God, God declares, what, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? Uh, and then going on, there's this concept of, of they've abandoned, you know, uh, the bridegroom has abandoned the, the, or the bride has abandoned the bridegroom. Um, but each time Jeremiah gives this message, he'll just give a brief paragraph at the end of it and say, you know what? You can repent. You can turn back to God. So there's always this moment of there can be something that can be built up. You can start planting. You can start looking to God, even in this moment when the Babylonians will take you into captivity because it's too late um, obviously, uh, the book of Jeremiah, at first, there's this hope that they'll be saved, and eventually God says, nope, you're going into captivity, even if you repent. But in repentance, you can still have beauty, you can still build, you can still plant something good. Um, and uh, in the one passage, that uh, one sermon that Jeremiah gives that's very positive, uh, at the end of it, he actually gives something negative. He reminds them if they don't repent, um, they will be in trouble. Uh, so we've we've seen that God calls his his heroes. He knows who we are before you know we even have substance. He's consecrated certain people for certain actions in this particular case. Jeremiah was appointed as a prophet, not just to Israel, but also to the nations. Um, and God encourages Jeremiah with this concept. Um, and then God declares that, that he will be uh, speaking through Jeremiah. Um, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And now in verse 11, we'll have one final encouragement for Jeremiah before you start getting into some of the difficulties that he's going to have to face. So in verse 11 and 12, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I see an almond branch. So if I were to ask anyone on average, what that means, how is that encouragement? I imagine the response would be at most limited. Um, what does it mean that, that Jeremiah sees an almond branch? How is this going to be an encouragement? Um, well, the almond branch, um, just as some context, uh, we'll go with the context of Moses and Aaron first, since that is the passage that this is related to, is the calling of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are called directly by God. But multiple times throughout their journey, especially in the wilderness, although even before the wilderness, when, when God is still, when they're still in Egypt, People say, who are you? 
why has God put you in charge? Um, not only to the people of Moses, uh, in fact, Aaron and Miriam also declare this of Moses. And then you have the Levites who are declaring, why is Aaron going to be in charge and not us? So you have the rebellion of Korah, which is uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, Numbers chapter 16 and uh, onwards. Um, and God puts down the, the rebellion of Korah, but the people are still not satisfied. And so you turn to Numbers chapter 17. People are still wondering, why have you been put in charge of us? Has God truly called you, Moses and Aaron, to be in charge? So chapter 17 of Numbers the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. Write each man's name on his staff, and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent meeting before the testimony where I will meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumbling of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel and all their chiefs gave him stabs, one for each chief according to their father's houses, twelve stabs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs before the Lord to all the people of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus Moses, as the Lord commanded him, so he did. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Jeremiah is a Levite. He is one of the priests, in fact. Uh, I really should have looked up if, if his line follows through from Aaron or not. I failed to do that. Um, but he would, of course, recognize the story of the almond and God's choosing, specifically Aaron, through an almond branch the staff that Aaron carried. The almond um, does, by the way, uh, produce its blossoms very early, before any other tree does in Israel. So you have this, you know, this blossoming throughout the land of these beautiful almonds early, earlier in the spring, late winter even still. But then it's actually one of the last trees to produce full, ripe fruit. It takes a long time to develop, to grow, to, to go from an, uh, a blossom to uh, a, a fruit, a nut that can be consumed. Um, and yet Aaron's staff, not only did it bud, not only did it blossom, but it also produced its fruit overnight. Um, and so you have this distinct remembering that, yes, God chose specific people for specific jobs. And if the people want to grumble against the people that God has chosen, they are going to face God, not just man. 
Um, and so this is a strong reminder to Jeremiah, I would argue, that, you know, look, I've chosen you. You're the one I chose, just like I chose Aaron, just like I chose Moses or David if or, or Adam if he's read Psalm 139, right? Uh, you also have um, a problem with the almond. Uh, nowadays, the almond is very popular for people who are trying to um, eat healthfully. You can have you know a handful and it will help you uh, get through the, the moments of the day when you really want to have something less healthy as a snack. Uh, you can have, you know, four or five, six almonds, and it will, it will give you, it has fat, it has um, uh, good uh, nutrients that will help you um, persevere until you're actually supposed to eat. Um, however, you have two different types of almonds. You can have an almond that is delicious, good for you, or you can have an almond that will poison and kill you. And it doesn't actually say what kind of branch Jeremiah saw. Right? So uh, wild almonds, they contain um, cyanide and um well, on average, if you have, you know, two or three, uh, it won't kill you. But if you have a couple dozen, it might. Uh, not that you would actually eat them because they're extremely bitter. They, they give a bitter taste to the mouth and that cyanide warns you, I don't want to have this in my mouth. And the bitterness is, in fact... A lot of what Jeremiah is called to, he's going to see a bitter fruit come out of the people of Israel as they do not listen. Now, some of them listen, a few of them. Um, in fact, uh, a foreigner listens, an Ethiopian listens to Jeremiah, um, but many of the people of Israel do not. And you have this bitterness, this bitter fruit that takes a long time to develop. And once it's finally ripened, if it's not cultivated, if it hasn't been prepared over generations of different trees and, and made, um, we call it GMO nowadays, but it's in fact something that's been done for millennia, uh, modified to pick the trees that are that provide good fruits, that provides uh, something good. If that hasn't been carefully cultivated, what you'll end up with is something that is bitter that will, in fact, kill you if it's, what, if it's the only thing you have to eat. Um, and finally, uh, the almond, um, just on a wordplay, uh, you have, you kind of have this idea of um, it starts to blossom early and it perseveres. So God says, you've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. So the almond is, um, what, sheket, I believe. Um, and then you have another word, which is um, shaktanut, I believe which is to persevere, to be diligent. And in fact, God is diligent in, okay, I'm going to give you these words to say to people, but I'm going to be diligent to see it done. Uh, you actually see the same thing in First Samuel when God calls Samuel. Um, God says that none of the words of Samuel will fall to the ground, right? God will see his prophetic call to Samuel, the words that he gives Samuel to say, none of them will fail. 
And in fact, that's how the people of, of Israel know that Samuel is a true prophet. Because the words that he states will be followed through on. And here uh, you have Jeremiah sing, sing this almond branch and God says, yeah, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to follow through on what I tell you. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And what I tell you, I'm going to do. Uh, and that should be an encouragement. Um, unfortunately, that is one of the last encouragements Jeremiah receives. Um, he has to go through, um, you know, it said in the beginning that his, his um, reign as a prophet actually starts in the time of Josiah and goes through to the 11th year of Zedekiah, which is a very long period of life. Um, Jeremiah is going to be a prophet for decades. Uh, through multiple kings, he's going to see um, some of the kings who are strong, some of the kings who are going to follow God, and he might be encouraged briefly, but he will, in fact, also see the downfall of Israel, and he's going to have to do this with just this little bit of encouragement from the beginning of, of his calling, where God says, look, I'm going to be with you. I made you. Um, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and I'm going to make sure that what I tell you takes place. So what is he going to uh, have to talk about? Whether the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And in this case, unlike the almond branch, uh, God specifies what this boiling pot means, and it means a disaster. Judah will face a disaster. The inhabitants of the land will be set against by foreigners. Foreigners who don't know God will come and judge Israel. Because Israel has forsaken God. It says in verse 16, I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. And this is largely going to be the remainder of Jeremiah's calling. To just remind people over and over and over again, that God is going to judge them. That the people have forsaken God. That they're offering to foreign gods. They're worshiping something that they themselves have made. And Jeremiah will have to live with this message every year. Year after year after year after year. And he's going to, I mentioned earlier, uh, this concept that God declares he's going to be with him. Um, assuming that Jeremiah does not get dismayed. That Jeremiah doesn't turn away from the calling that God gave him. I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls against the whole land, against the king of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you. Again, this is what Jeremiah is going to have to face for decades with it never stopping. People will fight against him, even in the time of Josiah. You still, even if you have briefly a king who follows God, the people are still going to fight against it. The people still are worshiping foreign gods. They are um, forsaking the God that called them. And of course, at the end of his life, despite the fact that it says they shall not prevail against you, 
for I am with you, declares the Lord, deliver you. You have this question. Why was Jeremiah taken to Egypt? Against his will, against the, the declaration that he told the people, look, just stay here. Just follow the Babylonians. Just do what the Babylonians tell you to do. Um, and that, sometimes we, I, I would argue, we don't know all the time um, what it means that God will fight for us, and that other people will not prevail against us. Because sometimes it, it definitely seems like others are winning the battle and that we're losing. Um, so uh, I'll have one more statement and then we can have uh, some discussion. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Um, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in the land, not so. Well, uh, we just went through the book of Exodus in a Bible study at Christ Church the past 40 weeks, uh, roughly. And honestly, the devotion of their youth in the wilderness wasn't very good. That's why we have stories like number 16, like number 17, where the people are grumbling against Moses, where they're grumbling against Aaron, where Aaron and, and Miriam are grumbling against Moses, where Moses is grumbling about the people. And so if that's the good times that God remembers, if that's the moment of, you know, oh, you know, this is the time that we really loved each other, how bad has he gotten? Um, and I think it's got pretty bad. Um, you have stories from uh, Josephus, Antiquities of the Jews, um, book five. Um, I don't have it written down, so I have to try and remember it, uh, where he talks about how the, the Israelites, when they come into the land that they're promised, uh, they become soft. They get used to the luxury of living in the land, as it says in verse 3, uh, or actually it doesn't say it in verse 3, but they get used to the harvest. They get used to all the good things that come about in this land. They got used to having houses and they got used to having luxury they were used to the culture of the land that they entered into, and they did exactly what God warned them not to do in Deuteronomy 6 through 11, which is when you enter the land that I am going to give you, remember me. And instead, they become soft, they become used to this luxury, they become used to um, having things that ultimately come from God. But they forget that. Uh, they forget that it comes from God and it took generations upon generations, like the almond branch, which blossoms early and takes a very long time to actually produce its fruit. After generation, after generation, after generation of people who followed after idols, who followed after something that is wrong, Israel is going to receive the judgment of God. This is uh, Jeremiah's call. And um, I won't get into uh, chapter 2 much more because it's technically not part of the half Torah, although chapter 2, verses 4, um, well, just chapter 2 in general, along with the rest of the book of, of Jeremiah, is incredibly interesting. And these are the types of things that Jeremiah is going to have to deal with. 
um, he's declaring, why, why couldn't you follow after? Why couldn't you follow after God? Like, God gave so much, and yet the people decided to follow something worthless, so they themselves. Um, I'll stop there. We can have a conversation. I don't have an answer for verse 19. They shall not prevail against you, but I think it could be an interesting discussion if people have their own questions or comments or criticisms.